All right. So um, as Pastor Mark mentioned, I'm going to be reading out of God's Word. And I would invite you guys to do just as we do at church and stand up in honor of God's Word. And um, we are turning to Philippians chapter 3. We're starting in verse 7. And um, we are using the English English Standard Version, the ESV. I usually say the ESV, so i got a little tongue-tied there. All right. <clears throat> but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you again, Narcy. Um, Hey, I want to ask you just two more things. These are real simple. Keep your Bible with you. Keep it open to Philippians chapter 3. We don't have the benefit of slides this morning, and so I'm going to be referring back to that. And uh, so I'll direct your attention to it throughout um, the remainder of my message here. And also, just a real quick reminder, we told you about this last week, and I posted a video about it this week um, At the conclusion of my message, uh, Paul Landers is going to be taking us through um, the Lord's Supper. And so if you would, if you haven't already, just prepare your elements, uh, juice or wine and um, uh, bread or crackers or or something that that, uh, symbolizes the the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, just have that ready for the conclusion of the message, and we'll do that. Let's pray real quick before I preach. Father, thank you so much for the people of Northridge Life Church. God, I'm so grateful to get to be their pastor, and more than that, I'm grateful just to be their brother, Lord. And the the fact that you, in your sovereign grace, have made all of them my sisters and my brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word and its power and its ability to, to cut right to the depths of our heart. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. And that, that you would speak through me so powerfully that none of my own thoughts or of my own uh, uh, faulty logic or intuition would come through, Lord, but it would only be the word of the Lord. And so, Father, I thank you for the clarity and the accuracy that you're going to give me and um, ask that, that you would tune all, every heart to your word. And we ask all of this in the precious name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well... Here we are, second week of streaming services. Never in my life thought I would be doing this. I told Paul Landers this morning that this was as close to being a televangelist as I ever wanted to be. <laughs> I, was, I was a little bit tempted to ask you all to place your hands on the screen <laughs> so that I could pray over you. Um, but, uh, but here we are. This is the reality. Second week. Our world, as you know, no one you'd have to be living under a rock not to know that our world has been absolutely turned upside down. And what was previously, just a couple of weeks ago, unthinkable is at least temporarily the new normal. And I have thought a lot about the things that I could say to you during this time. I've considered a whole bunch of topics. Uh, this is the second week in a row where 
one of the other elders has asked me what I was going to talk to you about, and I changed it, you know, at the last minute. Uh, because I, I really want to take the opportunity to place everything that we and I are, you and I are enduring together into a gospel-centered context. And so last week I tried to do that. I, I tried to remind you that COVID-19 was at least partially judgment from God on the world and correction for the church. And that God was doing not, not out of out of some anger, but out of some grace to give us, both the world and the church, a gracious opportunity to repent. I also said that this time, and I really believe this, was an opportunity for us to experience the joy and engage in the rejoicing that comes when we depend on Jesus Christ alone. I I believe that we're seeing God provide as we rejoice in ways that we don't normally get to enjoy. And, and the reason we don't enjoy them is not because they're not happening, but because all of us, especially in this part of the world, are so abundantly blessed that we don't really notice all the things that we most likely take for granted. Coronavirus also gives the church an unprecedented opportunity to demonstrate sacrificial service um, to those around us. Uh, we, we aren't Captive, like the world is, to, to the common fears. But, but we get to show them the power of walking in faith and hope and in love. And then lastly, I, I wrapped things up last week by pointing out that unlike any other thing, a worldwide pandemic gives us ample opportunity to really give great consideration to our own frailty and our own mortality. I don't know if you've noticed this or, or have been observant enough to pick up on this, but we're all going to die. I don't know if it's going to be from coronavirus, but if, if it's not from coronavirus, it'll be from something. We're all going to die. That's, that's the most guaranteed fact of human life. All of us. And so we got to consider our mortality, whether we're young and we think we can expect another 70 or 80 years, or some of you who are closer to the finish line, um, We need to consider this. The Bible says that man is like a breath. And and it says that his days are like a passing shadow. That's not real stable. That's not real concrete. So today, what I want to do is I want to continue the overall theme. Not any one of those four points. But I want to remind you, you especially who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ... That with everything that's unstable around us and and how we've seen our treasures slip away and the things that we value becoming less accessible, I want to remind you that you have one single treasure, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to know today. Um, Now, I realize when I say that, that to most of you who are Christians and have been, that it may sound too trite. And your response to me right there in your living room might be, come on, Mark, of course, Jesus is my treasure. But an opportunity, what I want you to get is an opportunity is being forced, literally forced upon you right now to examine your soul. Do do your hasty words about Jesus and how you consider him to be your treasure. Do those hasty words match the, the, the true, genuine integrity of your heart's feelings about Jesus Christ. George Beverly Shea, some of you will remember that name, he was the soloist, the, the, the crusade soloist for the Billy Graham ministry from 1947 all the way till his death 
in 2013, get this, at 104 years old, sang till his last days. And he famously sang this song, in almost every Billy Graham crusade, he'd sing this song that was entitled, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Can I just read you the lyrics of that song real quick? And, and, and listen to these words. I'm not going to sing them for you. I can get Dave back up here, but I'm not going to sing them for you. But I want you to listen to them worshipfully. George Beverly Shea used to sing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hand. I'd rather have Jesus than vain applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I want you to hear this morning is that nothing surpasses the worth of Jesus Christ. My earnest prayer is that for both you and I, that during coronavirus 2020, you and I are going to rediscover this truth of the the all-surpassing worth of Jesus. And that when we discover it, and when we embrace it, that this truth of the treasure that Jesus is will be our lifelong, sacred, guiding reality. So we read from Philippians 3. I hope you still have Mark there in your Bible. We read it this morning. And just before where our text begins, Paul had begun Philippians 3 by listing, get this, he'd been listing how absolutely perfect his religion was even before he met Jesus Christ. That may sound crazy to you, but he says, if anyone has the right to brag, I do. That's what Paul says. He, He goes on and he says something that I don't think any of us would dare to honestly say. He says, as to righteousness that is under the law, you know what he said about himself? He said, I was blameless. I can't say that. How about you? Can you say that? And what what he's saying there, I want you to get this. He's saying that he actually kept the law. Now, before you throw a theological penalty flag at me, I know and I I acknowledge that he affirms elsewhere, he strongly asserts that he was a sinner, and that he confesses to having a covetous heart. But what I want you to get, what Paul is saying there, is that his point is that no outside of observer could have sniffed out his sin. Some men's sins are obvious, the Bible says. But, but Paul was a covert sinner. You couldn't have sniffed it out. If you and I had lived in his time and we'd watched him and observed him, we would have thought he was the model of perfection. Because of the way he played strictly by the rules. And by doing so, he impressed a lot of his Jewish peers. But after reflecting on this reputation he required in religion, Paul makes a declaration where Narsi picked up this morning. In verse 7, look at it. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever one thought of Paul... His flawless reputation, his rank of being an elite Jew and a respected teacher, all of this meant absolutely nothing to him one single instant after meeting the resurrected Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. None of it meant anything to him. 
All his assets, he says, became liabilities to him. His gain became loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever distracted others from Christ's beauty didn't matter anymore. Whatever derailed his fellowship with Jesus Christ was absolutely worthless to him. And he's not just reminiscing about the good old days. See, his present posture is to evaluate everything with Jesus as the only measuring stick. Jesus is the one who measures comparative value for him. And now everything else seems to him as just a mere vanity. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. People tell me, this is a weird phenomenon about being a pastor. But people often tell me, about the great love they had for Jesus at the beginning of their Christian walk. And they look back fondly and they they say, man, I just wish I could go back to those early days. And my question to you this this morning, if that's you, is what's stopping you? What's stopping you? I have to ask you, look back on why you don't feel that way anymore. And I would ask you these questions. Has Jesus... The Jesus who who moved heaven and earth to save you, has he somehow become less powerful? Has Jesus, who's who's fairer than anything and more beautiful than anything, has he somehow become less beautiful over the years? Has Jesus, who, who wiped away your sins, somehow become less forgiving or less gracious over the early days? Has Jesus somehow become less valuable? Is He, in your estimation, less holy? Is He, in some way, less worthy of praise? I want to tell you something. If that kind of defines the way you feel about your present Christian walk, I wanted to let you know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Today and forever. He has not changed. What has changed, if I may speak directly to you, is that your heart has grown hard. Your love has grown cold. Your desires have become worldly. And your Christianity may be merely plastic. And and the cure for this state is not some kind of wistful longing for the good old days, the days gone by, but it's to shake yourself awake and to repent. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.4, He says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In the last part of verse 8, Paul says, For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In modern Christianity, I've noticed that we often boast of our willingness. But what we're willing to do, in other words, we'll say, well, I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything, let anything go for Jesus. But what we are willing to do, and we boast of our willingness, Paul made a statement of his status. He said, I have suffered the loss of all things. See, we imagine that Christ is better than everything else in theory. But the Apostle Paul said, everything else is garbage to me. 
That word garbage, the Greek word for rubbish or garbage, is skubalon. And you know what it literally means? It literally means dung, excrement. You can fill in other words if you so desire. (laughs) He isn't saying that other things in this life, relationships, possessions, he's not saying that they're valueless in themselves, but what he's saying is that what he desires is so much greater. He he, he declares that he gives up all this stuff, he says that they're garbage, that I may gain Christ. Christ is here, his only treasure, the only thing he desires. And I couldn't read that this week without recalling uh, two very brief parables that Jesus tells. In fact, take your Bibles, hold your place there in Philippians 3, and turn over to Matthew 13. Three short verses sum up two little parables that try to express the same thing that Paul is expressing in this passage. In Matthew 13, verse 44 beginning, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went, sold all that he had, and he bought it. Now the common denominator of these two men is that both the first and the second sell all they have for a better treasure. They don't do this because they're unwise. They're not suckers like Jack buying magic beans. They do this because they are supremely wise. And I thought about this, and as someone who is going to give account for souls, I had to ask myself, are many of us going to tumble into hell, separated from Jesus, separated from the eternal life He offers because of what we're not willing to relinquish? Have we clutched to the lesser things at the expense of knowing Christ, who is the greatest thing. Paul's not vague about what he hopes to obtain in Christ Jesus either. Beginning in that last part of verse 8, he says that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul wants to gain Christ and be clothed in His righteousness which cannot be gained from the law, but only through faith in Jesus. See, after essentially asserting at the beginning that if anyone could have achieved righteousness through the observance of the law, it was him, Paul now has come to a far different conclusion, conclusion that the law is not enough. He says that, um, you know, that I want something different. I want the righteousness that depends on faith. See, we always say, here, me, Pastor David, Paul, uh, Paul Brooks, all of us say that no one can satisfy the demands of the law. You know that. We say that all the time. But see, what this text tells us, listen carefully, what this text tells us is that no person ever satisfies his or her soul by observing the law. Not only are you not going to satisfy the law, the law ain't going to satisfy you. What we need is fellowship. We need love. We need comfort. We need the assurance of our, our forgiveness that comes from knowing Jesus Christ intimately. That's right. And this can never, ever, 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 ever be accomplished through rigorous moral perfection. We can never, you know this, you've lived long enough to know now that you can never be moral enough. You can never be good enough. Satisfaction comes from acknowledging the sufficiency of Jesus' death For our sins. The sufficiency of his resurrection for our recreation. 
and the significance of his reign for our perpetual hope. What Paul is saying, get this, if you don't hear anything else I say, get this. What Paul is saying, that the genuine faith of even the worst of sinners is of far greater value than perfect law-keeping by the very best of saints. That the genuine faith surpasses law-keeping. Verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. That I may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. When we have all this world behind us, when we've left all this world behind us to know Christ, God will manifest the exact same power He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead. And He'll he'll manifest that power right in our lives. Romans 8.11 confirms this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Greek word here for give life doesn't just mean physical resurrection, which is certainly a part of it, and as glorious as that is, but it means giving spiritual power to invigorate our life, or the quickening of the Spirit so that it's endued with new and greater powers of life. It's talking about a far more holistic view of life than just breathing air in and out of our lungs. But though Jesus' resurrection, though his resurrection life was preceded by his death on his cross, Jesus died first on the cross and he was resurrected, ours works the opposite. Our walking in resurrection power by faith is attended with sufferings that call to mind our Savior's death. Paul says, don't get this, we're all suffering right now, but don't don't miss this, don't gloss over this. Paul's saying that, that suffering is the basis for our fellowship with Christ. The only way we understand Christ truly is, is in the, the light of our suffering. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection, or attain the resurrection of the dead, even though... The meaning of life in the previous verse speaks of something more than brainwaves and heartbeats. Paul now points to his hope, his concrete hope, read 1 Corinthians 15, of an actual physical resurrection as his hope in coming days is a payoff for a life of treasuring Christ alone. Above all the folly and all the enticements of the world around him. I was reading this week in the Gospel of John and I came across Jesus' high priestly prayer in uh, chapter 17 and I fell on these words. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Our physical resurrection, this is what Jesus is praying about. Our physical resurrection was what Christ prayed to the Father for on the night before he was crucified. It would be, this physical resurrection that's promised us would be a guarantee of unbroken fellowship with him throughout all eternity. Seeing his glory as it was before the creation of the world, seeing his glory is the reward for all of our earthly suffering. So let me ask you a question. When did you last lay something down because you treasured Christ? When have you chosen the treasure of Christ more than pursuing the rewards of this world? 1 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. We clutch 
so hard to the stuff of this world, and the Bible says it's going away. Corey Tenboom, one of my heroes in the faith, lived in the 20th century, and she suffered and lost very, very much for Jesus Christ. Her family, and living in the Netherlands, hid Jews from Nazi butchers during the Holocaust, and and, and she, for this, was eventually arrested. She was imprisoned, and while in prison, she many and her family died, were killed by the Nazis. And she, looking back on this time in her life, after it was all over, she said these words, Hold everything in your hands, not tightly, but lightly. Because otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. See, the dirty little secret of a message like this is I look into a camera and tell you all to treasure Christ above everything else. And anyone who's ever preached with a sincere heart will tell you what I'm about to say is true. It's the dirty little secret of preaching. Is that a message like this has to burn its way through me before it can ever have any hope of singeing you. It has to burn its way through me. I have wrestled tremendously this week with a multitude of seducing voices. Seducing voices. All my other desires as I've pondered a globally crashing economy. Separation from the people I love. Usually I'm in a room that's full. This week I'm in a room that's empty because I can't be with the people that I love. I've been worried about the uncertainty of the future with the possibility of further spread of this virus. Some of you have asked me, when's this going to be over and we'll be back together? I don't know. I don't know. No one knows yet. But I've stirred myself in the middle of all those fears that are real. I've stirred myself the best that I can and leaning heavily on the power of the Holy Spirit to treasure Jesus Christ alone. I've been reading a lot in recent days from Thomas Brooks. Thomas Brooks was a Puritan living in the 1600s. He was a pastor in Great Britain. And he was a pastor at a time when it was illegal to preach the gospel, the biblical gospel at least. And it was illegal to gather to hear it. So Thomas Brooks did not have the benefit of live streaming across Facebook. And and, um, if he gathered with people to preach the gospel, um, he was breaking the law. And the people that gathered were breaking the law. But I want to close with his words about treasuring Christ. And and admittedly, I did this a few weeks ago with another quote. This is a little bit lengthy. So what I want you to do in order to be able to focus on it more, is I'd like for you just right where you are to bow your heads and to close your eyes and to the best that you can give your full attention to these words because they're powerful. Written, you know, over 400 years ago. Thomas Brooks says, Why do you tell me of this and that outward comfort? When I cannot see his face whom my soul loves. Why, my honor is not Christ, nor is the favor of others Christ. Let me have him, and let the men of this world take the world and divide it among themselves. I prize my Christ above all. I would enjoy my Christ above all other things in the world. His presence will make up the absence of all other comforts. And His absence will darken and embitter my comforts. 
so that my comforts neither taste like comforts, nor look like comforts, nor warm like comforts, when he that should comfort my soul stands afar off. Christ is all in all to souls truly changed by grace. We have all things in Christ, and Christ is all things to a Christian. If we be sick, he is a physician. If we thirst, he is a fountain. If our sins trouble us, he is righteousness. If we stand in need of help, he is mighty to save. If we fear death, he is life. If we be in darkness, he is light. If we be weak, he is strength. If we be in poverty, he is plenty. If we desire heaven, he is the way. The soul cannot say, this would I have, and that would I have. But Christ says, it is in me. It is in me imminently, perfectly, and eternally. Is that how you feel? Can you, from your heart, say those things about Jesus Christ with Thomas Brooks? See, good times... An easygoing, a cruise control life will never prove Christ's worth to you or to anyone who is watching your life for testimony of the power of God. Only times like what we're living in help. See, because when we live in times like this, it's like we're digging up a buried treasure. It's been long covered with the earth, but now in times like this, it's exposed to the sunlight. And that's how it is when we face hard times. We are given a unique opportunity by the Lord Jesus Christ to recognize His true worth. Speak this benediction from God's Word to you. To God, who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We love you. See you next week.